Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Sunday morning message. Today's sermon is Bless This Home Part 4 by Associate Pastor Mitch Rose. Mom, that one family is so strict. They aren't even allowed to say, hey, watch your mouth. Church, church, church. All they do is go to church. Can't they miss just once? They won't go to the movie because they say there's bad stuff in it. What is wrong with them? We know people make fun of our family, but we can't worry about what people think. We're more concerned about what God thinks. We're wrapping up our series called Bless Us Home today, and I'm glad that Chosen to be here. If, uh, if you haven't been here the rest of the time, let me sort of catch you up. I hope that you're taking notes. The back of your worship guide is a great place to do that, to take notes about uh, the sermon that you hear today, the message that you hear. You can keep it all week long, and uh, I hope that you're doing that. Uh, so today we sort of are uh, bringing together what we have done the last three weeks. We have been talking about how God could bless our Home, single adults, moms, dads, husbands, and wives, what God would do for us. And we're looking at the teachings of Jesus in Matthew, the fifth chapter. If you have a Bible or a Bible application, why don't you turn there very quickly? This is sort of where we'll land the majority of our time today. Matthew 5, if you're new to Christianity or new to faith, is a passage from the Sermon on the Mount we traditionally call the Beatitudes. I don't know why we call them the Beatitudes. There's nothing in this passage it says be or attitude. So, I don't know. They're the Beatitudes. And all of my life growing up in church, I always heard preachers read this passage like this. Blessed are those who are persecuted. I don't know why we say blessed instead of just blessed. I have no idea. If you know why we do that, if you'll let me know, because it's the same word. So, I'm just going to go with blessed. Are you okay with that? All right. Matthew 5 and 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus was talking to everybody here, but we're sort of drilling down and seeing what these blessings look like if they were to be on our home. Because the reality is, if you're looking around the world today, if you're looking around the church today, it's difficult to sort of find somebody and go, man, that's a blessed house, or those are blessed people, or that's a blessed marriage, or they have blessed kids. And so we want to know from God's Word, what do we have to do so that we can get God's blessing on our home? How many of you want God's blessing on your home? Raise your hand all over the house. I want God's blessing on my home. And so if you're taking notes, let me sort of give you the overarching view of where we've been and sort of the thought we've been looking at every single week. It's kind of a paradigm shift in thinking about our families and how we approach faith in our families, and I want you to write this down in your notes. We are not a Christian home. We are a Christ-centered home. We are not called to be a Christian home. We're called to be a Christ-centered home. And I know if you're here today for the first time, or you're new to this series, you're thinking, this sounds like the same thing. I don't know what the difference is. What's the difference between a Christian home and a christ Centered home. Unfortunately, today the word Christian is not quite what it's supposed to be. In, in fact, where we live, where you and I grew up, especially where I grew up in the Deep South and here in the Southwest as well, Christian is sort of a default decision, you know? Everybody's just kind of born Christian. 
How many of you know sinners? I don't know any. (laughs) Your co-worker could literally cut the head of your boss off in front of you with a butter knife and would say, I'm a Christian. Yeah, we're a Christian. I'm not anything else. If you were to poll the people who are in your life that are closest to you, your co-workers, your family, and your friends, and you say, hey, what are you when it comes to faith? They would say, well, I guess I'm a Christian. I'm not anything else. So I guess that's... I guess that's what I am. I was born this way. This is what mom was. This is what dad was. And there's a really big portion of the population in our country, especially in our part of the country, who would sort of fall into this category that I call a cultural Christian. There's just Christian by our culture. It's just what we're born into. It's just kind of who we are by default because this is sort of how we were raised or where we happen to live. This is what my mama was. This is the way I was raised. I believe in God, so I guess I'm a Christian. 80% of our country would call themselves Christian. If you were to ask them, how do you identify yourself in the matter of faith? They would say, well, we're we're Christians. But the truth of the matter is when you look at their families, and when you look at our families, there's not a lot of evidence that supports their claims to Christianity. Maybe you're here today, and that's what your family looks like. You would say to yourself, yeah, we're Christian, this is what we are, this is sort of what we do, we believe in God, we, we, we're not anything else, we wouldn't identify ourselves as anything else. But when you really drill down into the dynamics of your family, there's no evidence to support your claim of Christianity. Let me pause here and tell you, if you are going to profess one, you and I must be one. If we're going to say this is who we are, we have to act like who we say we are. The biggest detriment to Christianity in the United States of America is not science or atheism or Hollywood. The biggest detriment to Christianity are families who claim to be Christian, who claim to follow Jesus, who claim to follow the teachings of the Bible, but their lives don't line up with their mouths. And all the world is watching while you and I must align our lives to what our mouths are saying. Say amen to that. That's the difference in a Christian home and a Christ-centered home. A Christian home comes to church occasionally when I feel like it, when it's sunny outside or when it's raining outside, depending on what I want to do that day. Christian homes come on Easter and come on Christian come on Christmas. Christian homes just come when there's something special for kids. Christian homes don't do anything terribly bad, but they're not doing all things right. But Christ-centered homes are different than that. Christ-centered homes say Jesus is not a part of our lives. He is our lives. This isn't part of what I do. This is what I do. This is who I am. This is how we are. Our homes are different than other homes, and our lives are different than other lives. Our values are different. We raise our children differently. We use our resources differently. Our time is spent differently. Our Saturdays are spent serving. Our money is spent differently. We treat people differently. We act different. We talk different. We look different. We are different not because Jesus is a part of our lives, but because He's everything in our lives. Our home evolves around. Our home is about Jesus. It is Christ-centered. In the Old Testament, when they would camp the tabernacle, which was this mobile place where they worshiped God, it was like 
church for us, but it was mobile and it was constantly moving. When they would pitch that that tabernacle tent in the wilderness, they would put it in the center of the camp and all of the tribes of Israel would point their tents that way. When you opened the flap of the front of your tent, you would be facing the tabernacle because it was central to our lives. It was central to who we are. We used to build towns and communities. If you go to downtown Austin, some of the largest churches in our city are built in the center in the center of our city because our communities were built around, centered around church. And you and I have an awesome responsibility to not just be a Christian home. We have to be, must be, have no option but to be a Christ-centered home. Shout amen to that. Here's our key thought for today, and and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If, in fact, we are a Christ-centered family, if, in fact, you have decided not to just be a Christian family, but a Christ-centered family, it filters your decisions, it filters your actions, how we act, what we do, where we go, what we don't do, our liberties and our negative liberties, all of those are filtered through honoring Jesus Christ as the center of our family. If, in fact, that's true, you will be persecuted. And that's where we're going to land today. In all of our talking the last three weeks, we've talked about what we do to get God's attention to bless our homes, how we act so God would bless our homes. And then the finality of the Beatitudes, the eighth and final Beatitude is, blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. It's almost as if Jesus was saying, now if all of this other stuff exists in your life, you can expect this final thing to exist in your life. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. And I know some of you are saying, man, this is really positive. I love coming when you preach. But it's true. If you're a Christ-centered family, if you stand up for what you feel like honors Jesus Christ, what you need to understand unequivocally is that in this culture, in our world, people will mock you and make fun of you and ridicule you because that's what happens when you're Christ-centered. And I don't know how it's going to play out for your family, but I do know this. It will eventually play out where somebody at work points their finger, where somebody on the job says, man, that's so odd how you do that, where somebody at school says, man, that's so different for you. Why are you living that way? If we go all the way back to week one, if you're new here, here's what we talked about. We said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be, everybody say, filled. They will be filled. If you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, listen, in an unrighteous world, then people are going to laugh at you and mock you. It's almost as if Jesus was juxtaposing the life that you and I are supposed to live as Christ-centered families with the way the world lives. And He says, if in fact you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, then you're doing so against the backdrop of unrighteousness. And by doing so, you're inviting persecution. Then in week two, we said, blessed are you if you're pure in heart, for they will see God. If you're trying to live with a pure heart in an impure world, people are going to mock you. Say amen to that. Week three, last week on Mother's Day, we said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Some of you weren't here. Some of you slept last week. We said, if somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn the other cheek. You remember that? 
We said if you go one mile, go the extra mile. We said if you forgive that which seems unforgivable. Many people don't have a category for that sort of in our culture. They don't know how to treat people like that. They point at them and say, man, that's weird. That's a strange... You're a doormat. You're, just, you're being crazy right now. That's stupid. What's wrong with you? And they mock you because this kind of living is countercultural living. Blessed living is not how everybody else lives. Blessed living says if the whole world is going this way, it's my job as a Christ-centered family to say, we have decided we're going to go this way and we're going to pursue Jesus Christ and His ways are right. Say amen to that. Jesus said it very clearly. If you have your Bibles, Matthew 5 and verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now here's what he said, and this sounds so unusual to us. Blessed are you when people insult you. And when they persecute you. Blessed am I? <laughs> when they insult me and persecute me? Blessed are you when they say falsely, when they lie about you. All kind of evil against you. And this is why. Because when they're pointing at you, they're doing it because of me. Jesus said, when they lie about you, it's not about you. It's about me. When they tell people there's something wrong with you, it's not about you. It's about me. It, listen, this is not for you to walk around self-righteous with your chest bowed out and your head held high. No, no, no. Jesus said, this wasn't about you to begin with. You see, they don't hate you, Jesus said. They hate me. It's about me. And when your life is centered around me, you will be persecuted. But blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and lie about you. And then he said something crazy. You think I say crazy stuff. Jesus said rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. He said, when people look at your family and say, man, that's the strangest thing I've ever seen. Why would you make that decision? Why would you prohibit your family from there? Why would you all decide to live that way? Jesus said, when that happens, expect it to happen. And when it happens, blessed are you. And rejoice and be glad in that. Because great is your reward in heaven. Blessed are you when people make fun of you and persecute you and ridicule you. Because of your faith in Jesus, because heaven has a reward for you. Say amen to that. Now, some of you are saying, okay, you've got to tell me exactly what this means. How am I blessed when I'm persecuted? Or what does even persecution look like? How am I blessed for right living or for doing the right thing? And, and, and I know some of you are saying, man, that sounds right for you. You, you know, you're persecuted because you're a preacher and you're kind of odd looking. You know, it kind of, it, it, you kind of got it coming to you, you know. Listen, this is not, the Bible did not say blessed are you when you preach the right things. Listen, I want you to catch this. This is so important. It did not say blessed are you when you point out other people's faults. It did not say blessed are you when you preach on the street corner how everybody else is wrong. It did not say blessed are you because you're a preacher and you're supposed to be persecuted. As a matter of fact, the first illustration of persecution in the Bible is between two brothers. 
Some of you and your family, you know what that's like. You have family members who say, man, that's crazy to live for God like that. Why would you make that decision for your family? And, and, and your own brother and your own blood's pointing their fingers and persecuting you and making fun of you and ridiculing you. And Cain and Abel were, were the first example of this. The reason Cain was angry is because Abel was living the right way, not saying the right thing. Abel was doing the right thing. Not saying the right thing. Saying the right thing will not invite persecution. But doing the right thing will get you killed. Saying the right thing doesn't always get everybody's attention. Everybody can say the right thing. It's the political season. My friend Dale and I are political junkies. It's, it's, it's a political season. I love politics. I talk about politics like pastor talks about the Spurs. Problem is you can't foul anybody in, in politics <laughs> like you can. Like you can. Listen, it's a political season, and, and it's always funny when politicians get on television and, and, and get in a debate and they talk about their faith in God and they talk about their Christianity. It's one thing to talk about it. Nobody persecutes you for what you say. Cain did not kill Abel because he preached to him. Cain killed Abel because Abel was living differently than Cain was living. It wasn't about what he was preaching. He lashed out and killed his brother. Not because his brother, listen to this, not because his brother did anything wrong, but because his brother was doing everything right. Not because his brother did something wrong, but because his brother did everything right. And Cain was convicted by right living, not by right preaching, not by right speaking, but by right Living. I don't know what it will be for you, but I do know this. If you are in fact a Christ-centered family, you will have different values. And there are people that are closest to you, even your family, who will point their finger at you and try to kill you. Not because of what you say, but because of how you live. Cain killed Abel because of right living. Because his actions were so different and so stark in comparison to the way Cain lived. Maybe you're a teenager here, a young adult, a single adult here, and you have different values, and you say, I'm going to honor God with sexual purity. Can I talk about sex for just a moment? I would rather, I would rather your kids hear about sex first here than anywhere else. I would rather they hear first what God thinks about sexual purity than what your school thinks about sexual purity. I want my babies to get God's perspective before they get anybody else's perspective. And so maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I'm going to save myself in sexual purity. I'm going to honor God and not have sex until I'm married. And your friends are like, you're an idiot. (laughs) Why would you give that up? That's just stupid. That's a crazy thing to do. And they're going to make fun of you. Listen to me. Single adult, young adult, listen to me. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Not for right saying, but for right living. For righteousness sake. For righteousness sake. For right living's sake. Maybe you've decided you're not going to certain movies. Is this okay? Say amen. Maybe you've decided we're not going to that movie and all your friends or family are like, man, what are you kidding me? This, this is so funny. And you say, listen, 
I'm not going to do it because everybody else does it. And they make fun of you. And they say you're crazy. Why would you do that? Because I've decided we're a Christ-centered family. And there's just some ways we're going to live differently than everybody else lives. And just because the world's going this way doesn't mean our family's going this way. We're deciding if God's going to bless our home, it's going to be because we put Him in the center of our home. We're going to put Him in the center of our home. We're going to put Him in the center of our home. Some of you have decided, this is so crazy preaching this way. We're not going to put our kid in this particular sports league. Why would you not put your kid in that particular sports league, parents? Well, because they play games when we go to church. And all the parents at the ball field say, that's crazy. You're ruining your four-year-old's chance at scholarships or whatever it is that's more important. Here's what I think. I think it's better for my four-year-old to be in kids' ministry hearing how Jesus loves them. I think we're going to choose church first. I think we're going to put Jesus Christ in the center of our homes. You may think it's crazy. You don't have to live this way. But we're going to put Jesus in the center of our home. Because I need Him to bless my home. Blessed are you when everybody points their finger at you. Maybe you're seeking God and trying to do things differently in your life. And things still aren't going right in your life. And people say, where's God now? What's going on now? Why, why aren't things going right in your life now? Listen, listen to me. Write this down. Don't ever forget this. You have to recognize things may not be going right in your life not because you're doing something wrong. They may not be going right in your life because you're doing something right. And when you're doing something right, there's always opposition. There's always opposition. If you don't have any opposition, it may be because you're going with the flow. But when you turn around and say, we're going to go this way, there's opposition against you. So when everything seems to be going wrong, maybe it's because you're doing right. You're going to find this hard to believe about me as well, but I don't go to the gym as much as Pastor Brad. Not to say he's not stronger than me. Come here, Pastor. Not to say he's not stronger than me. I am better looking. He's got to make up for it with these big guns. And he won't hurt me in front of y'all. Listen. Pastor, it's sincerely, honestly, as, as, far as, as far as taking care of your body and, and respecting what God gave you, I honor and respect what Pastor Brad does. He lives this out. Tell me, because I don't know. When you go to the gym, do you have to add more weight or less weight to get stronger? More. There has to be opposition. If there's opposition, what's that mean? You're getting stronger. Some of you have been wondering, why is it in my life that there's opposition to what I'm doing? Why can't everybody just get along? Why are people making fun of me? Why isn't it going well? Maybe it's because as I lift this weight off of me, I'm strengthening my muscles. I'm strengthening our spiritual faith. I'm telling our kids, this is how we're going to be strong in the Lord and mighty in His power through opposition. It's strength training. And I recognize just because things aren't going right doesn't mean I'm not going right. Maybe there's spiritual opposition for you. So it raises the question, and this is where we'll land for the next 15 or so minutes. How do you prepare your families? 
when you know there's persecution coming. If in fact it's true that blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. If in fact it's true that if you live a life that honors God. That if you're following what it means to be blessed because of thirsting and hungering for righteousness and you're following a purity of heart and you're trying to be a peacemaker and not just a peacekeeper. If, if in fact you're asking God to bless your home and you recognize that persecution's coming, how do I prepare my home? I hope you have a pen and something to write with. How do I teach my kids? How do I teach our family what it means for our roots to grow down deep because inevitably persecution will come? Let me give you three different thoughts and I hope they'll build your faith. Number one. In recognizing that persecution is on its way, we teach our kids to expect it. Everybody say expect it. I expect it. I expect that it's coming. And I'm teaching my kids to expect that choosing to live a way that honors Jesus Christ and puts Him at the center of our home will invite persecution. Don't be surprised by it. I expect it. 2 Timothy 3 and 12 says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be Persecuted, no exceptions, expected, everybody. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. If your family is Christ-centered in some way, you're going to be different than other people and people won't understand and people will criticize you. And, and, and listen, how you're different won't necessarily be how everybody else is different. There are going to be some times in your life you make decisions nobody else makes. I don't know if you were raised like this. I was raised in the South by a mama who beat me, and she made me do all kinds of things. And one of the things she said all, all the time when, when I was growing up, and I would say, this was, this was, your kids are better than I was, I would say, well, so-and-so gets to do that. You know, so-and-so's mom lets them go there. And, 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 and her, her mom lets them, and, and his, his mom and dad let them do this. And my mom would say, you don't live in their home, you live in my home. You want to live in their home, you can go over there. I, I got some suitcases you can have. I'm going to give them to you. I remember I tried to run away one day. I got two blocks away. I was terrified. I couldn't find my way home. Came back home. Couldn't live with nobody else. There are kids in our youth group that got to do more than I did. Listen, I'm not just talking about people in the world. I'm talking about people in my church. They got to do other stuff that we couldn't do. Why? Because in our family, we had decided there's just some things our family doesn't do. You don't have to look around and see what other families are doing. You've got to say, God, what is our family? How do we want to please God? What's right for our family? I want you to bless our home. I want you to bless our home. And so we were persecuted. And I, friends would point and they'd say, man, this is so crazy. You can't do what? I was 18 years old. I was dating Brandy. We started dating when we were 17, 18 years old. So help me God. As an engaged 18-year-old man out of high school in college. So help me God. I could not go out on a date with my fiance on a church night on Friday night. Because the church I went to had youth service on Friday night. Because I still lived in mama's house. And in mama's house we go to church on Friday night. She's raised just like me, or she raised her kids like that. Now you say that's crazy. I'm here today. Here I stand. Was it so bad? I don't know. We've been married 15 years. God's blessed us. We're serving God. It didn't seem so bad now. Because this is what our family's going to do. This is what we've decided honors God. 
And He's the center of our family. People won't understand, but you're following Him. It's not going to be the same for you that it is for everybody, but we're following God and we're Christ-centered and our values are different from the world and people are going to make fun of you. People are going to laugh at you. You may ruin every keg party you ever get invited to. (laughs) They're going to quit inviting you eventually. They may laugh at you when you bring your Bible or your smartphone and on your lunch break you're looking down and you're saying, you're reading through a Bible study and they're saying, what are you doing right now? I'm putting God's Word in my heart. They may laugh at you for that. But listen, I'm a Christ-centered home and persecution's going to come. I expect it's going to come. But this is what I've decided to do. I want Him to bless our home. He's the center of our home. So this is what we're choosing. They may make fun of you because you dress modestly when they don't dress modestly. They may make fun of you when you decide there's just certain stuff we don't do. Our family just doesn't do that. If you're raising kids, listen, let me advise you. Introduce them to small doses of what persecution looks like. It's okay to say, honey, listen, if they laugh at you, it's okay because we're honoring God. Don't ever, listen to me, don't you ever blame church or the preacher. Don't ever blame Jesus. Don't ever say it's their fault. No, no, no. This is not a burden on our family. We get to live for God this way. We choose to live for God this way. We've chosen to make Him the center of our family. We're a Christ-centered family. We've put Him in the center of our home. And we expect... That persecution is coming. And listen to me. Persecution. This is why it's so important. Because persecution is so light in our country right now. Let's be honest. What do they do? Point at you and laugh at you? But listen to me. Even though it's relatively light now. It is increasing every single day. There is growing hostility towards Christ-centered homes and Christ-centered values and Christ-centered living. And you and I better learn how to stand now so that we'll be able to stand then because it's just getting stronger. And your kids and my kids need to have roots that are planted deeply in our faith. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it's not about you. They hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. Look at your spouse and tell them we don't belong to the world. Look at your kids if they're in church with you and say we don't belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. You see how different that is? You see how different that is than the preacher said not to, church said we couldn't, we, we blame the Bible, we blame, no, 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 that's not it. Listen, baby, God's chosen us for something bigger. God's chosen you for something better. God's got better plans for us. We're not of this world. We've been chosen out of this world, and that's why the world hates you. Verse 20 says, remember what I told you, Jesus says, a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me. They will persecute you also. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. We teach our kids, we teach our families to expect persecution is coming. Number two, I gotta hurry. We not only teach them to expect it, we teach them to endure it. We teach our kids, we teach our families. You need to sit down with your spouse and teach your family that we're gonna endure persecution. First Corinthians four and twelve, Paul said, We are cursed and we bless. 
When we are cursed, here's our response, family. Here's our response, husband. Here's our response, wife. Here's our response, kids. We don't lash out. We don't get defensive. Listen, we're not judgmental. We don't say we're better than them. We don't say you're going to hell and I'm not. When we are cursed, here's what we do. We bless them. When we're persecuted, here's what we do. We endure it. We don't whine about it. We don't cry about it. We don't gripe about it. We don't tell everybody how unfair our life is because somebody from college defriended us on Facebook. I just can't suffer anymore. (laughs) No, no, no. We don't do that. Paul said, listen, Timothy, when that comes, because it's coming, you endure it. You bless those. This is how we do. We endure it. I remind you respectfully, listen, my brothers and sisters, the persecution that we endure in this country is so mild and light compared to what goes on around the world. There are churches around the world today, churches that are meeting in basements, in nondescript warehouses, in back bedrooms of high-rise apartments. And some of them are listening to this podcast. And let me just acknowledge to you that you've confessed your faith in Jesus Christ and your family's disowned you. And it takes courage to do that. It takes courage, far more courage than worrying about being defriended on Facebook. It doesn't take courage to endure the persecution that you and I endure. We just endure it. Listen, there are those in places around the world today that if they confess their faith in Jesus Christ, their tongue is cut out. Their ear is cut off. They're marked because they put Jesus at the center of their lives. There are places that for centuries people would lose their life. Today in Sudan, there's a woman who is, who is scheduled to be hanged because she's married to a Christian Because she's a Christian and refuses to denounce her faith in Jesus Christ. She's been forced as an eight month pregnant woman to give birth to a child. To nurse that child and to know hangings on its way. And you're worried because they laugh at you because you won't do some stuff. That's not 200 years ago, 2000 years ago. That's today. In Sudan. Today. Our sister is on death row. And we sit here worried about what our family thinks because we made certain decisions for our lives. We take so easy the privilege that we have to come to church. We take so lightly the privilege that we have to sit in God's house and worship freely. If you have a Bible, would you grab your Bible or a digital copy of your Bible? Would you just, I want you to hold on to it. I want you to put it close to you. I can't tell you how simple it is. If you don't have version on a smart device, let me encourage you to download. That's a digital copy of the Bible. You can carry it anywhere. I read all of my scripture through my smart tablet or my smartphone and there's Bible studies. Let me encourage you. It's so easy to access God's Word today. And we leave it at home. And we can't open it up in church. And we can't open it up 
with our families and read out loud God's Word in our home. I came across a video just the other day. It was posted to Christian Post, which is a Christian newspaper about the plight of Christians around the world. This is absolutely, it broke me up. In the early 1980s when communism really was sort of taking grip and the Cultural Revolution in China and it was really taking grip and persecution was so heavy and they didn't have access to the Bible. And I found this, it's very poor quality, but I want you to watch this. This is a video of Chinese Christians who have seen, listen, who are seeing the Bible for the very first time in their lives. I want you to watch this. And you can't read yours five minutes a day. And it's crazy to take your Bible to school and tuck it under your arm. And it's crazy to sit around with your family and say, we're going to read God's Word today. And there are Chinese Christians who wept and put that Bible against their face. That's the first time they ever saw a Bible. I wish you'd get your Bible in your hands right now and get it close to your heart. I wish you'd take your family and put your hands inside their hands and say, listen, this isn't persecution. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you. We can endure this. We can endure this. We can live through this. Because He's the center of our home. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Somebody makes fun of you for going on a mission trip during spring break or instead of partying, you just endure it. You take it like a man or woman of God. When people make fun of you because you have different values, you just take it. You just endure it. You just smile about it because God's called us to something more, not something less. There's something more to this life. We get to serve God. We get to live this way. It's amazing what happens when you start serving God this way. When you endure persecution, your spiritual roots grow deeper. They get deeper. When you endure persecution, your intimacy with Christ increases. Your spiritual resolve is strengthened. Listen to me. How many times has it been since you picked your Bible up and cried over it? It's been a long time since I've done that. Because I'm not persecuted for having a Bible. But when you haven't ever seen one. And all you've ever done is pray for one. The moment you see it, you put it to your cheek. And hold it to your chest. Because your roots grow deeper when you're persecuted for it. I get stronger when I'm being opposed I endure it shout endure it come on shout endure it I just endure it that's what we do that's what we do that's what we do listen if you haven't been persecuted in a while I believe in all of my heart that you're at a spiritual disadvantage because all throughout history when the church is persecuted the church gets stronger There's a sense of unity and passion and boldness. And it weeds out those who don't really mean it. And it strengthens those who do really mean it. You know, when you get to decide whether you really mean it or not, when somebody tells you you can't. You can't have a Bible. You can't believe in Jesus or we'll hang you. We'll take your new baby from you. And that mama in a Sudanese prison says, take my baby, take my kids, but you can't take Jesus from me. This is who I am. I'm not just Christian. My life is Christ-centered. This is what I am. This is not just what I profess. This is who we are. 
It strengthens you. You become stronger. When your family stands up and says, this is who we are. We're not just a Christian family. We're a Christ-centered family. It draws you closer. I know it sounds hokey and silly, but families that pray together, that really matters when families say, we're going to decide this is who we're going to be. And all of the world doesn't have to understand, but this is who we are. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. Where there's family identity. When family identity is strong, peer pressure is weak. But where family identity is weak, peer pressure is strong. Would you write that down, parents? Where family identity is strong, peer pressure is weak. But where family identity is weak, peer pressure is strong. Where family identity is strong, Peer pressure is weak. But where family identity is weak, peer pressure is strong. In other words, when your kids know it doesn't matter what they say at the lunch table, I'm a child of God. My parents love me. My church loves me. We serve God. We get to live this way. It's a privilege to serve God like this. When their family strengthens them, then suddenly peer pressure fades away. It doesn't matter what they say about them in the lunchroom because when they get home, mama's telling them, you're a woman of God. You're a man of God. Listen, I have a two and a half year old little girl. Every night before she goes to bed, I tell her, you're God's chosen vessel. You're a woman of God. My little unborn baby boy, I tell my wife's belly, you, it's crazy to you. I don't care what you think about it. I say, baby, you're a man of God. You're going to change the world. You're a man of faith. You're a mighty man man of valor because our family is centered around this this is who we are this is who we are this is what we do this is what I want to be this is who we are Listen, when that's not there, peer pressure is so much stronger because when you don't know who you are everybody else gets to define who you are we're not just a Christian family we're a Christ-centered family So we expect persecution to come. We expect it to come. Is this okay preaching? We expect it to come. And finally, if you're taking notes, number three. We expect it, we endure it. And then we embrace it. We embrace it. Pastor Randy, we thank God that I get to suffer in some small way like Jesus. And I embrace it. In fact, Peter said this. Listen, First Peter 4 and 12. If you have your Bibles, turn there. But let me give you some context of First Peter 4. P- Peter is talking to a group of Christians who are suffering and being persecuted. Begone anything you and I can imagine. P- P- Peter is writing to Christians who are being thrown into the Colosseum. And for sport, for fun, tens of thousands of people are packing the Colosseum to watch animals Rip apart Christians limb by limb. Eat them alive. This is true stuff. This is real persecution, not being defriended from Facebook. This is real stuff. And Peter is writing to those very Christians whose husbands and wives and kids have been eaten by animals for their faith in Jesus. And he says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you. To test you as though something strange were happening. But rejoice 
in as much as I get to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Verse 16 says, However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. You praise God that you bear that name. You praise God that you bear that name. You praise God that there's enough evidence in my life to convict me of that charge. That somebody can look on our lives and say there's something different about you. If in fact they're persecuting you, rejoice. Don't think it's strange. Rejoice that you get to bear that name. Come on, we're going this way Friday night. No, not us. No, we're not. Why? Because we're going to honor God. Hey, let's do this. No, we're not. I'm going to honor God. Gentlemen, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to treat women right. Women, we're going to honor God by how we honor our husbands. We're going to honor God. We're going to raise our kids differently. Our values are different. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness. When people make fun of you because you walk away from a business deal. You could have made tons of money, but it just wasn't right. It wasn't ethical. And we don't do things that way. Not in our family. Not in our home. may seem crazy to you. It was a lot of money. But we don't do things like that. Because our family is Christ-centered. And they make fun of you and they mock you. But you go to bed that night knowing, I did what was right today. Thank God that I get to do that. Thank God that I get to bear that name. That I just get to bear that name. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake. For yours is the kingdom of God. If you want the kingdom of God in your life, you must endure persecution. But blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness. For yours is the kingdom of God. Here's the deal. I wouldn't worry if they were talking about me. I would worry if they weren't. I wouldn't be concerned if I was different. I'd be concerned if I wasn't. I wouldn't be concerned if everything was going okay. I'd get worried if everything was. I, 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 I just know that when I'm going against the flow, there's opposition. I just come to expect it. I've taught our kids to endure it. And we're going to embrace it. That we get to bear that name. We get to bear that name. Listen, my brothers and sisters. I want God to bless your home. I want Him to bless your home. And blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. For you'll be filled. And blessed are they that mourn. And blessed are they that are poor in spirit. And blessed are the meek and the humble. And blessed are the pure in heart. And blessed are the peacemakers. And blessed are those who've decided to live all of these seven ways. Because they will be persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you 
when you don't settle for average, for blending in, for cultural Christianity. Blessed are you when God's called you something more, something greater, something higher. Blessed are you when you make decisions nobody understands. Blessed is your family when you set higher standards. Blessed are you when you tell your kids we live differently. Blessed are you when you don't blame God. You embrace and praise God that you get to bear that name. Blessed are you. And blessed is your home when you choose to live differently. Bless Jesus my brothers and sisters that have gathered at Christian life today are doing so in sincere humility desiring to please God and I'm asking you to bless our lives God as we conclude our time together in this series I pray something over the last four weeks has grabbed our hearts grabbed our attention grabbed our minds I want you to bless my heart I want you to bless my heart God to get your blessing I have to do something different I have to live different I have to be different God I want blessing to be filled I want blessing to see God I want blessing to see the kingdom of God I want blessing to inherit the earth I want blessing to be comforted. But to get the blessing, I got to do something different. I got to be pure in heart. I got to seek righteousness. I got to live different. I got to be different. I got to endure persecution. But at the other side, there's blessing for my heart. I pray for my brothers and sisters, for families, single moms and dads who are doing the best they can to raise godly kids. Bless our this house God it doesn't seem like much I know granite countertops and vacations would be nicer bigger houses nicer land trampolines swimming pools and cars sound better but if I can give them anything let me give that little girl and my little boy who's coming a blessed home bless Thank you for listening to the Christian Life Austin podcast. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.